Hello, everyone. It's Joanna, and welcome to Sam Magazine. everyone. I know it's been a while. I've been a little busy. Yeah. Um, I've been, I did NaNoWriMo. And what that is, if you're not a writer, it's the month of November when everyone who is a writer and wants to sign up, you just literally go hard and you write. Uh, you're not even supposed to like read the last few pages. You're just Right. And I have found NaNoWriMo is the best way for me to get a first draft of a book done. So I've been working on my time travel. This is a book I have been wanting to write for the last three years. Now I am, and it feels great. So um, for December, the holiday season, what I've decided is I have two short stories one that I've written, and one that C.J. Papoutsis has written. And I'm going to read those. So today, you're going to get a short story I wrote in 2007. It was part of the Blood on the Holly anthology. It's called The Parrot and Wild Mushroom Stuffing. And I wrote this story, and at that time, I was using my um, pseudonym of J.C. Saz. Now, before I start reading this story, I have to give a shout out to my U.S. listeners. I see you. I see you. Hello, Illinois. Hello, Virginia. Hello, North Carolina. And hello, California. And Canada. Thank you, my own province, British Columbia. Thank you, Manitoba. And thank you, Ontario. Yes. All right. So let's get started. I wrote this story because I was just floored with what some of our customer service people have to deal with um, during the holiday season. I, during this time, my youngest daughter worked in the meat department of a grocery store, and my husband worked in a produce department of a grocery store. So you'll see some references to grocery stores, and and just that's where that came from. Here we go. The Parrot and Wild Mushroom Stuffing by J.C. Sass also known as Joanna Vanderflug. I stand in the glow of my blue Christmas lights and fumble through my purse for my keys. 
Inside the house, I hear my phone ring once, twice, compact lip liner, Tylenol. Third ring, cold medicine, brush, breath mints. Fourth, pen, checkbook, hairnet. Fifth, keys. I shove the house key into the lock, turn, and barge into my home. Silence. I slam the door and kick off my shoes, leaving a black smudge on the wall. Today had been the worst. December 23rd, the busiest shopping day of the holiday season. One woman yelled at me because our department ran out of butterball turkeys. Another woman hugged me when I found her the last smoked one. She didn't care that my apron was covered in meat debris and my sleeve was splattered with teriyaki sauce. Then Dave Dubrinsky, my boss, and the store's meat manager got on my case because I hadn't joined in the department's secret Santa. All I wanted to do was drop my cold, tired body into my hot tub and forget about the holiday season. I crawl upstairs and toss my coat on my bed. I wiggle into my one-piece bathing suit and slip on my terry cloth robe. Back downstairs, I step outside and flick a switch. My hot tub froths with bubbles. I flick another switch and red Christmas lights illuminate the patio. Not exactly Kim Mitchell's patio lanterns, but good enough. I duck inside, grab a cocktail glass from the kitchen cupboard, and pour a vodka-sake combination to the rim. After working six days straight, it's time for some relaxation. Out on the patio again, I drape my robe over a chair and place one foot into the warm water, smiling at my distorted toes. Tonight, it's all about me. Tomorrow, I'll visit Mum. As usual, She'll complain that the chef at the seniors' complex doesn't use real cranberries, but canned. And then she'll grill me as to why I don't have a boyfriend yet. I'll give her a cheese basket, which she'll hide from thieving Geraldine, and a bottle of Red Door, which she'll stash with the other bottles I've given her on previous Christmases. I bring my glass to my lips and sip. Lovely. Relax. Let the tiny bubbles melt the tension of being a meat wrapper during the busiest time of the year. Melt it. Melt it all away. Hey, Josie. I jump, spilling sake and vodka on myself. Dave Dubrinsky stands in his winter jacket, still dressed in the store's uniform. Jeez, Dave. What the heck are you doing here? Dave looks me up and down, then clears his throat. Your doorbell's broken. I submerse myself to my shoulders. What are you doing here? Your mom called. I frown. Why would my mom call the store? Because she was upset and couldn't find your number. And considering you don't pick up when people do call, person has to resort to breaking and entering to get hold of you. So he was my hang-upper. 
Is my mom okay? She wanted to give you a message. Marco died. There's going to be a service for him at your Uncle Russell's tomorrow. She wants you to drive her there. Oh, dear God. You don't seem cut up about it, Josie. What has Marco done to tick you off? I step out of the hot tub and reach for my robe. Nothing, except poop on my head. Dave's eyes pop. Marco Polo, I continue, my voice laced with disgust, is my aunt's 30-year-old scarlet macaw. Dave still looks confused. A parrot? Dave stares. No kidding. Yeah, no kidding. He shifts his weight from one foot to the other. So I drove like a madman to give you a message about a silly bird? Yep. Hope you didn't get a speeding ticket. And your mom wants to go to this bird's service. When your deceased sister's beloved macaw dies, I flip my hair out from my collar. And you don't have much on your social calendar except the last funeral you went to. I yank on my terry cloth belt. Yes. Bring him to the store, Josie. We can sell him as an exotic delicacy. That's not funny, Dave. My Aunt Corrine loved that bird. I guess Mom still is upset over her sister's death. Dave arches an eyebrow. Wait until the guys hear about this. Dave, I point to the side gate. Go. And I don't want anyone in the meat department to know. He shakes his head and walks toward the gate. Yeah, okay, Josie. No one will know. Have a good Christmas. Give my regards to the deceased. When I was 15 and hormonal with a lollipop shape, toothpick legs with a 36D bust, my mother tolerated my low-cut shirts and skinny tight jeans and prayed that I wouldn't come home and tell her I was pregnant. Someone must have been listening because I never did. When I was 19 and passed up a chance to enroll in broadcasting school because I had fallen in love with sleazy Scott and seafood, instead of greeting her jilted daughter with criticism, and I told you so, she stood at my door with a bottle of Bailey's and a Sarah Lee frozen cake. My luck with men still hasn't improved, and once again, I'm sitting with my mom, this time in Uncle Russell's living room. A retired fitness instructor, mom has had both knees replaced and arthritis has attacked her ankles. Although she's stuck in a wheelchair, she mostly has a happy disposition and in her baby blue afghan and matching cotton pants, she looks great. Your boss, Dave, seems nice, she says, nimbling on a gingerbread man. Why do you keep bringing him up? He's all you talked about on the drive over. He mentioned that you're not participating in the secret Santa. Nope, I'm not. You should. It'd be fun. If you got David's name, you could buy him some kinky underwear. Mom, I have to work with the man. It's all in the name of fun, Josie. You used to be such a carefree girl. What happened? I'm a 40-year-old meat wrapper 
whose previous marriage was as memorable as feminine itching. I am not participating in the secret Santa. A $10 gift is not going to restore my faith in men. Just then, Uncle Russell, my deceased aunt's husband, placed an 8x10 photograph of Marco Polo on the mantle between the poinsettias and bouquets of red roses. Good grief. Well, my mom crosses her lace-gloved hands. It might restore something. My mouth drops open and my head whips around. Sweetheart, pay attention. Your uncle is about to speak. Family, friends, loved ones, my uncle begins. Lizzie and I are touched that you are here to celebrate the life of Corrine's beloved Scarlet Macaw, Marco Polo. Where's the rum and eggnog? I try to focus on my uncle, but I'm distracted by his second wife, Lizzie, perched in the putrid brown rocker. Her blonde hair is teased and backcombed into a flowing crest on the top of her head. Wearing a glittering rainbow-colored sweater with matching pants, she sits, legs crossed, chest pushed out, her talon fingers curling over the chair's arms. My uncle drones about how much joy Marco Polo brought to my deceased Aunt Corrine and how protective the scarlet macaw was towards her. Having learned a poker vocabulary from Aunt Corrine, Marco Polo would have made the perfect player. My relatives laugh. Uncle Russell then introduces Lizzie, formerly Lizzie Mitchell, of Mitchell Wiener's Fortune. Lizzie stammers and smiles and preens a single lock of hair. She thanks us for welcoming her into our family. We haven't, but that's besides the point. She hopes that on this Christmas Eve, we'll enjoy the festive dinner she has prepared. My uncle claps. I do too, so as not to be rude, and I look at my mother, who sits, arms crossed. Mom, she gives me a look that only a mother can give. She's nothing but a harlot with bright plumage, she whispers, but half the room can hear her. Mom, a bony one too. There isn't enough meat on her bones for broth. Mom, I hiss. A shadow bobs in front of us and we look up. Lizzie, my cheeks grow warm. Had she heard us? Jacqueline, Lizzie chirps in a sing-song voice. Thank you so much for coming. She pumps my mother's hand as if she were hoping money would fall from between her fingers. I know this is a lot to take in all at once. Mother fixes an alligator's smile. I can hear you, dear. No need to shout. Oh, good. That parrot was such a handful. Lizzie crows in the same loud voice. Every day was a new surprise. Corrine loved that bird, my mother replies. And so did I, when he behaved. I mean, Lizzie's beady eyes flick from side to side. The bloody thing hated me. You see this? She holds up her bandaged index finger. This is not from a carving knife 
but from the damn bird's beak when I tried to feed him a carrot. And this, she holds up the middle finger, is when I tried to clean his cage. It screeched whenever I stepped into the room, and when I turned my back, it would swoop down onto my shoulders, batting its wings on my head. And if that wasn't enough, its feather dust aggravated my asthma, and then it'd mimic me breathing into my inhaler. My mother and I are speechless. Talk about feeling rejected. Lizzie clears her throat. Well, excuse me. She cocks her head to the side. I must check on the turkey. With quick steps, she bobs into the kitchen. Mum looks at me. Something's not right about that girl. Josie, make sure she's serving turkey and not parrot tonight. Trust me, I will. Oh, and Josie, could you get me some punch? The non-alcoholic kind. I need to take my pills. I maneuver between Uncle Nick the Stick, who lives in Whiskey Creek and butchers his own cows, and my cousin Sarah, the realtor, who is always talking on her cell. Then there's my sad cousin Ray, who talks nonstop about all his girlfriends, but always attends family functions alone. At the far end of the living room, stockings hang from the fireplace, while a large Christmas tree obliterates the front window. Poinsettias and holly glare red and green from every bookshelf, ledge, and table, and Dean Martin croons, White Christmas, from the record player. Yes, you heard that right. Record player. The needle catches in a scratch, and Dean keeps repeating, Christmas, 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 someone, please. I make my way around the sofa and over to the dining room table, which has been converted into a buffet table and a mini bar. I ladle non-alcoholic punch into one crystal cup. Hey, Josie. I look through the chandelier's beveled stained glass and see five images of Dave. Good God. More than I can handle. I drop the ladle and punch splatters onto Lizzie's tablecloth. Dave, what are you doing here? I'm an old friend of Lizzie's. I used to scare the kids at school who teased her. That doesn't surprise me. The bizarre thing is that without his hairnet and green blood-splattered apron, Dave actually looks good. How's your mom, he asks. Fine, I reply, ladling alcoholic punch into my cup. Not too much punch there, Josie. Dave nods at the two crystal cups in my hands. I may not be able to help myself and have to sneak a kiss under the mistletoe. Mistletoe? There's mistletoe? I nervously laugh and inch my way between aunts, uncles, and cousins, hoping no one will ask if I've found a man. I make my way around a table covered with plates of gingerbread, tarts, and Nanaimo bars, except half the bars have the green mint filling and chocolate layer eaten off, leaving behind the chocolate coconut base. A toddler barrels into the room, licking mint icing from his lips. Are pint-sized Nanaimo bar thief, maybe? I put a few edible tarts on a plate and find Mother. 
Here you go. She takes the cup with a non-alcoholic punch and throws back her pills. Josie, I heard the most disturbing news. What? Santa's not real? No, silly. It's about Sarah, who... Is she eyeing the blow-up snowman? I look over at Sarah. Sure enough, she has her arm around Frosty's portly white waist. Mom, she's working on her fifth Caesar, and Frosty looks cuter than most of her boyfriends. Josie, be nice. As if she can talk. I heard Sarah tell Ray that her company is tearing down this house and putting up condos. Well, Mom, this house sits on prime shale real estate. Step out back and you can look over Finlayson Arm. I'm surprised Uncle Russell didn't sell this place sooner and skip off with Lizzie to a tropical island. You don't understand. No one can touch the property. I choke on a morsel of mincemeat. Excuse me? There's a clause in Corrine's will. My mother takes pleasures in tormenting me with information bites. She never tells me the full story. What clause? Corrine had a clause that said that as long as Marco Polo lived, Russell could not sell the property. Corrine insisted that Marco Polo live in a stable environment. Parrots don't even like their cages being moved. I dab my mouth with a napkin. The bird's dead. Convenient, isn't it? You're saying Uncle Russell deliberately killed Marco Polo? The scarlet macaw is part of the parrot family. Parrots have been known to live into their 60s. Marco died in middle age. You can't prove that. Yes, I can. How? By having you search Russell's office. I can't do that. Yes, you can. Look for feathers, bird seed, a carcass. Determine the cause of death like they do on CSI. Mom, all Russell had to do was fry a steak in a non-stick pan and Marco Polo would have died from PCP poisoning. Uncle Russell's pans are coated in angel dust? No. What's that stuff called? I saw it on the news. PTFE is used on nonstick pans. That's it. Parrots have sensitive respiratory systems. The fumes would have killed him. And don't you find it strange that Russell held a wake for his deceased wife's parrot? Well, yeah, but it's your family. And why is Lizzie going to all this fuss when she knows we don't like her? Because she wants our acceptance? Something's not right, Josie. Those two are hiding something. A few relatives looked our way. I stand. Here. I give Mom my cup and plate and wheel her through the living room doorway. I glance up and see something green hanging. Good grief, the mistletoe. Where's Dave? Not anywhere near, thank God. I push Mother into the hallway, which is littered with shoes. How the heck am I supposed to search his office and not get caught?
you snuck stash in your bra when you were 17. You'll think of something. She still remembers that. Uncle Russell steps into the living room and trailing behind him is Dave with a beer mug in his hand. Dave sees me and holds up the mug. Yikes. Dear friends and family, please come enjoy the bountiful meal my sweet Lizzie has prepared. Now's your chance. Go. I'm hungry. Mom wheels her chair over my toes and across the hardwood. Thanks, Mom. I love you, too. My relatives line both sides of a long table. Make room. Lizzie struts in, brandishing a large silver platter. Partridge, everyone, for those of us tired of turkey, and Russell's wild mushroom stuffing. She places the platter at the end of the table. Mother looks at me. I glance at the bird. Yep, partridge. I nod, and Mother takes a slice. I'm taken aback by the plethora of decorations, gifts, and food. Come on, Josie, where's your Christmas spirit? Somewhere lost between my crazy relatives and trying to prove that Marco Polo died a suspicious death. I tiptoe down the wobbly steps, eyeing the strips of orange insulation in the unfinished basement. Petrified of spiders, I swat at my hair. This is crazy. Why did I let Mother put me up to this? Because she's mom. I walk past the bathroom in rows of canned peaches when my eyes spot a baggie of something dark and shriveled. What is that? I lean closer. I'd swear I'm looking at dried shrooms. Hmm. At least I haven't found a burnt carcass. I shiver and make my way through the yeasty fog of my uncle's You Brew Beer Kiss. There's a thump above me, and I jump. A toddler wails through the flooring. Ooh, I'm safe. Through an open door, I see a desk and bookshelves and the glow of a computer monitor. I step inside. With its green shade carpet and oak paneling, the room smells musty. I maneuver between a bookshelf and an armchair, then bang my hip on the corner of the desk, jiggling the monitor. I hobble around the desk and scan visa statements, bank receipts, and Grand Cayman holiday brochures. Uncle Russell and Lizzie must be planning a vacation. I shuffle through more papers and hear a crash upstairs. I jump again. Don't worry, Jacqueline, Uncle Russell's voice reverberates. Mother murmurs something. Where's Josie? Uncle Russell asks. My heart pounds. Mother murmurs something else. I hear someone sweeping broken glass. I flip through plumbing estimates, blueprints, a surveyor certificate, a state of title certificate. Hold on. I pick up the blueprints and unroll them. They're for a 20-story condominium to be built right where I'm standing. I'll be damned. The condo includes a gym, swimming pool, and sauna. Nice. If Uncle Russell sells the house, he'll definitely be able to afford a trip to the Grand Cayman Islands. Did he do the deadly deed to Marco Polo after all? Or had Lizzie? I rolled the blueprints back up 
I slide open a drawer and find a power of attorney how-to kit. Not to cover the bird, obviously. Lizzie, maybe? Hold on, Lizzie. I'll get another bottle from the cellar. Footsteps thump down the stairs. Uncle Russell. Crap. Where do I hide? No closet. No window to escape through. Just cabinets. Damn it. I crawl under the desk, pulling in the chair and tucking my knees into my chest. My uncle's footsteps echo on the cement, then stop. Don't come in. He does. I can hear him breathe and smell his axe deodorant. I press my lips against my sleeve. He stops near the side. That's strange. He closes the drawer and shuffles a few papers. He's so close. I'm going to throw up. Russell, Lizzie crows from upstairs. Coming, darling. He taps the desk, then his steps retreat. The door shuts. I gasp and lean my forehead against my arms. That was too close. Uncle Russell thumps back up the stairs and closes the door. I push the chair out, crawl forward and stand, nailing my shoulder on the keyboard tray. Jeez. Joints creaking, I pick up the blueprints and unroll them one more time. On the second page, I notice the street address. Mom was right. She and Aunt Corrine's home is being demolished. There's enough evidence here to confront Uncle Russell. I roll up the blueprints and leave them where I'd found them. I march over to the door and turn the knob. Locked. No. Frantically, I turn the knob again. Definitely locked. Crap! I pull on the knob, panic rising in my chest. Do I bang on the door? How do I explain myself? Someone? I pound on the door. Somebody? I say louder. Let me. Josie? Who's that? Josie, are you in there? Thank goodness Dave likes his beer. If he hadn't been downstairs checking out my uncle's U-brew kits, he wouldn't have heard me. He quickly finds the key. It was hanging from a nail by the back door and lets me out. I explain my covert behavior and the macaw's suspicious death theory. After a few snickers and raised eyebrows, Dave eventually takes the idea seriously. You think the bird was poisoned? He asks, walking up the steps. Mom thinks the bird from PTFE poisoning, PTFE being the coating used in nonstick pants. Dave shakes his head. No, Lizzie would never use a nonstick pan. She's completely organic. We reach the top of the steps, close the door behind us, and turn down the hall. Then how else? Dave steps into the living room and points. That's how. I follow his gaze and see Mom deadheading the yellow leaves of a poinsettia. My mom, Dave continues, has a cockatoo. She can't have poinsettias in her house. They're toxic and deadly to parrots. So is Holly. Where was Marco's cage? Over here. I stand by the front window. There's a water stain on the ledge. 
I recognized the mark, having overwatered my own plants. I pull aside the vertical blinds and find a decorative vase holding sprigs of holly. A couple of pointed leaves have beak marks, and there were a few berries missing. Look, I pick up the vase. This is the right height for Marco Polo to reach from his cage. Josie, Dave, what are you doing? Dave and I swing around. Lizzie holds a plate of Christmas pudding. What are you doing with the holly? Here, give it to me. I'll get rid of it. No. I hold the vase against my side. This is ludicrous. Holly leaves prick my arm. Lizzie's eyes bulge. What? It's evidence. I'm taking it to the police. Uncle Russell poisoned Marco Polo with the holly so he could sell this place to a developer. That silly Josie. That bird was a nuisance. But Russell would never harm it. Now give me the damn vase. Then you killed Marco because he didn't like you. Dave fires me a now-you've-done-it look. Lizzie remains silent. One eye blinks. The corner of her mouth twitches. Then she drops the Christmas pudding and jumps me. The vase flies from my hand. I fall back onto the Christmas tree, taking it and Lizzie down. Sharp needles scratch my skin, and I hear the tinkle of broken ornaments. Lizzie, get off, Dave shouts. Josie! Lizzie screams. I hated that damn bird. Hated it. She smacks my nose and face. Branches poke between my arms and legs. I try to fend off Lizzie's slaps but get tangled in glitzy red garland. Josie! Mom! Lizzie nails me in the mouth. I swing and a clothes peg reindeer pings off her forehead. A little help would be nice. I feel Lizzie being lifted from my body. Her eyes pop and her hair is a tangled nest. Dave hauls her, kicking and screaming over to Uncle Russell. Do something with her. That bird was possessed, Lizzie screams. Possessed! Lizzie, this way, darling. Uncle Russell wrestles her into another room. I put my hand down and come up with a sticky, half-eaten candy cane. Lovely. My head throbs. I brush my hand across my cheek and see blood. Josie. Dave slides his arm around my waist and helps me up. You're bleeding. My nose. My mother wheels over. Josie, sweetheart, are you all right? She holds up a kitchen towel. You know, David, she always was a scrapper. I press the towel to my nose. Thanks, Mom. Dave gives Mom his cell and asks her to call the police. He looks at me. I'm moved by the concern in his eyes. God, Josie. He picks tinsel out of my hair and tries to suppress a smile. With the way that tree was vibrating, you two looked like you were performing a bizarre mating ritual. Thanks, Dave. Thanks. Are you sure you're okay? Do you need anything? Home. I need to go home and sit in my hot tub. Soon, Josie. Soon. But first, we better talk to the cops. I have a fat lip, and the skin around my cheekbones is tender. Lizzie has cackled all to the police. Russell had bought the poinsettias and then the holly 
to kill Marco Polo because he couldn't sell the house while the parrot was still alive. The police are questioning Uncle Russell about the hallucinogenic mushrooms in the baggie downstairs. The same mushrooms Lizzie had unknowingly put in the wild mushroom stuffing. Now, my slightly stoned mother thinks she's doing aerobics with Jane Fonda. Sarah believes she's negotiating a deal with Frosty. And Sad Ray is bragging about a supposed date with Pamela Anderson. Dave and I are the only ones not stoned because we were downstairs while everyone else was enjoying dinner. I slip my arms into my coat sleeves and step into the hallway, coming face to face with Dave. Hey, Josie, how are you holding up? Are you done with the cops? Yes, I gave a statement. How's Lizzie? With a little counseling, she'll be okay. According to one constable, Uncle Russell was cooking the mushrooms in his homemade spaghetti sauce. He was trying to drive Lizzie crazy so he could get power of attorney and control her money. That's terrible. That's why she was acting like a bird. Yep. The police may also re-examine your aunt's death to see if there was any foul play. I'll tell Mom when she's finished competing with Ms. Fonda. Speaking of whom, I look over at Mom who's doing bicep curls. I better get the fitness diva home. Before you leave, a mischievous smile softens Dave's face. Look up. I do and see a leafy green plant. Dave, that's Basil. He kisses me tenderly on the forehead and steps back. I know nothing about produce, Josie. I cut and debone meat. I smile. How the heck am I going to face him in the new year? Not my problem now. Merry Christmas, Dave. Merry Christmas. So there you have it. I had forgotten about this story, and uh, this was a lot of fun to read, and I, I hope that came through in my voice. And as I was going through this story, I, I flipped to the uh, bio at the very end, and it just it took me back to a, a different time in my life. Like I said, the story was written in 2007. And in the bio, it mentions how, yeah, I used to be a fitness instructor and personal trainer at the University of Victoria. And during that time, I was working full time. And like it says in the bio, I could be found in my favorite coffee shop huddled over a manuscript. And like I said in this story, and I can't believe it, it's, I'm choking up here. It's still true today that, as I said in this story, in the bio, the parrot and wild mushroom stuffing is dedicated to my husband, Ed, my daughters, Ashley and Kara, and my awesome critique partner, C.J. Papoutsis. And I'd also like to thank Debbie Kinlock of ParrotsCanada.com for providing me with invaluable information on parrots. Okay, everybody, stay healthy, stay calm, and I hope you have a great week or, or weekend. Just 
Take each day, day by day. Okay, bye-bye.